Welcome to The Road to Change, a ministry of The Road to Damascus Church located in Carson, California. We provide weekly sermons designed to aid the Christian in his or her walk with Christ. Now join us for a service already in progress. Our hearts, with all the thanksgiving that we can muster, to give you praise, to give you glory, and to give you honor for being the God that you are. We thank you, Father, that you have looked past all of our transgressions, looked past all of our sins, and, and saw in us that we were worthy, worthy to be cleaned up and saved and used for the service of the building of your kingdom. And so, God, as we come this morning into your house of worship, we ask that you stay with us for a while. We ask that you just imbue all of the hearts of the people that we will become more and more like you, that the image that we see will be a true reflection of the true and living God the Son, the Christ. And we ask, God, as we continue in this year of transformation, that we begin to see a change in our hearts, that people we know, the ones we loved, and the people we encounter begin to see a change in us. Not the kind of change that will give us praise and glory, but the kind of change that would show that we are kind. The kind of change that shows that we are loving. The kind of change that says we are forgiving. The kind of change that says we will bear up with each other's sins. The kind of reflection that says that if you come to me, brother, I will love you. Regardless of your transgressions, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what the world may have said about you, whatever the enemy has done, we love you. We come this morning, God, seeking a new direction. And we know, God, as long as we keep our eyes our hearts and our minds focused on you, that it will come to pass what you are doing in our lives. And so, God, as we move forward in this service, I ask that you remove me, Lord. Remove me and keep me hidden behind the cross that you may be exalted. And I ask, Lord, that the words that go forth touch the hearts, touch fertile ground, that we may see real fruit. We ask you, to be all these blessings in your son, Jesus Christ's magnificent name, we do pray and believe. Amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Road to Damascus Church. Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe, been missing in action. I thought I was about to send the posse after you. <laughs> and my daughter, Alexandria, my oldest firstborn daughter, glad to see you this morning, sweetie bye bursting at the seams with my first grandson. Thank you, God. I appreciate that prayer, Elder Marshall, praying for that child before he is here. It's something that we should all be striving to do as a community of believers, of a faith community. Uh, and I know that, uh, uh, well, he walked out of the room, so I'll wait till he comes back. So, as we move forward this morning, we just want to have a quick reminder about the, uh, 2019 as being the year of transformation. And, and the scripture that was set as the theme scripture comes from the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The, the, these transform into His image. That the image that we see in the mirror is no longer our image, not the sinful nature that we have already had, that we've spent years perfecting, but the image of God. And to 
transform simply means to morph, to change into another form. The, the, the form that we are currently living in, we want to change into another form, and that would be into the image of Jesus. And we've talked about so many times that the, <clears throat> the idea of transformation is to be different from where we were, to live a life that's different from what we've lived in the past, to be different in how we interact with people, to be different in how we go about everything we do when it comes to church, our walk, our worship, and our witness, that the people we encounter will begin to see something new and not something that we've been giving them the entire existence, our entire existence that is usually rooted in judgment and probably hate. Part of being this whole thing with transformation is being able to realize yourself in your mind that it is needed. And I keep referring to Abraham Maslow who says what is necessary to change a person is to change awareness of himself. This comes from the Greek terms uh, of self-awareness, comes from the ancient Greek aphorism to know thyself. William Shakespeare had even written it in a line to, uh, to thine own self be true, to know who you are. To be true to who you are and stop trying to front and give this thing in front of people that is not who you are. And the purpose of all this is because Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus, in Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is the whole reason why we are striving to be transformed, to be different from the way we were, is because God had created us specifically for good works, because we are his workmanship. Yeah. Yes. Many preachers have said in the past that the reason that God, or God does not make junk, because his workmanship is flawless. His workmanship is perfect. So while you may not be happy with where you are physically or where you are in your life, it is still in God's workmanship that made you in the place where you are. And it was for a specific purpose. You may not like your big head like me. You may not like the fact that you're bald like me. But I am still God's workmanship. And it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel because I am still part of God's workmanship. Right. Uh, uh, um, this is all a part of the transformation process. And psychologists believe that when we focus our attention on ourselves with this self-evaluation, this self-awareness that we would evaluate and compare our current behavior to our internal standards and values, then we become self-conscious as an objective evaluator of ourselves. And People will tell you all the time about yourself, but you have to be able to identify what it is about you that makes you you, whether it is right or wrong. And when you become a self-conscious, objective evaluator of yourself, you can go from it's not you, I mean, from the, the stance that it's, not, it's you, not me, to it's me. Because everything that goes wrong in our relationships with people is never us, it's always them. But the fact of the matter is, it's you. Uh, last week, I had a chance to see a replay of the movie Fireproof. I don't know if anybody remembers that. A uh, uh, Christian-based film uh, about a man and his wife that were going through struggles, and he had to do what was called the love dare. That he had to spend 40 days of not thinking about himself, but to think about his wife, do everything to make his wife's life better. And they had already gotten into this bad place 
So he goes through uh, at the encouragement of his father to go through the love there before they were going to separate and end the marriage completely. They, he went through the love there and he's struggling and he's doing all these nice things. But he wasn't self-aware because more than halfway through the process and he's getting up and he's cleaning the house and being considerate and he's putting out flowers and he's doing all these nice things, cooking dinner, he still said, it's you, not me. And he told his father, he said, I don't know what to do because she's just so ungrateful. Nothing I do pleases her. I'm trying and trying and she still won't love me. And the father said, isn't that? No, you need a savior. No, I don't, Dad. I'm doing what you said. I'm following your directions. I'm being considerate. I'm being loving. And everything I've done, she turns away. She spat in my face were his words. And he said, isn't that how Jesus feels? It's not the same. Really? He goes and does this for you and you turn your back? He has done all these great things for you and you continue to do what it is that you want to do? Then the moment hit the self-conscious objective evaluator that said, it's me. I am the one that's in need of prayer. Yes. The, how does the song go? It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Yes, yes. And when that transformation happened, when he realized that it is no longer everybody else, it was me. Then the work that he was doing in the love there changed. He was going to work prior, mad, after doing all these things. But when he realized he was only going through the motions, not truly changing his heart, that when he changed his heart, he was loving doing these things, regardless of whether his wife was responding or not, even until the point where she left and he did something ultimately nice, didn't, she didn't know if she left the divorce papers for him to sign. And he prayed and he continued to pray until the truth came out that he inside actually had changed and transformed. And that is what we're striving for in 2019. Total, complete transformation. Isaiah wrote in 26 chapter verse 3. And this is why we're seeking transformation and where we're going today. And next week, I realized I said we were going to be talking about friends and, and how friends are going to help us in the transformation. But something happened this week that said, no, this is not the one. We're going to talk about this. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. On you, whose mind is focused on God, whose attention is directed solely on God, they will have perfect peace because he trusts in God. So this morning we're going to use for a theme fatal distraction. Fatal distraction. Ironically, I actually was looking for this title because I saw the movie again this week, Fatal Attraction, uh, and, and thought about this while I'm, I'm meditating on this word, how important it is for us to remain focused, to have our mind stayed on God, and that when we don't keep our mind stayed on God, that it's 
can be fatal. The distractions that dissuade us and take us away from where our intended target is supposed to be can be fatal. Uh, now, in this transformation period of time, a transformed soul is a soul with focus. That I have become what I am desiring to be. Single-mindedness, focus on what it is that God has for me and in my life. When I am a, special, a soul with a focus, I am incapable of being distracted. The things in life that are going on, the cares of this world, don't have any effect on me because I am single-minded in my approach to God. You can say we are God's own special forces because if you watch anything on the History Channel or any one of these documentaries when they talk about the, the Navy SEALs or the Green Berets or any of these elite fighting men, they have a singular focus. Not everybody can be a Navy SEAL. Not everybody can be a Ranger or a Green Beret because it takes a special kind of person that can endure all the struggle, that can endure all the trials and the tests and, the, and the, the physical abuse that it takes to be one of these men and to remain focused on the mission in spite of everything going wrong around you. Bullets flying, bombs crashing, but you remember this is my mission and I'm going to be focused and accomplish that goal regardless of what's happening. Yes. And on top of that, I'm leaving no man behind. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. This is the type of focus we're supposed to have as Christians, that we are going to be single-minded, a special force for God. Yes. And you think about this in these examples. Basketball player at the free throw line, shooting his free throws, Everybody is standing behind him and they're doing everything to distract him. To take his mind off of that basket. He's, he's there, focused, bouncing that ball, going through that rhythm. And you see, you can always tell the ones who get shaken at the moment. They're never focused. They're, they're looking around, their eyes are big and glazed over, and they go up there and they shoot that brick. And football, the field goal kicker, the, the coach, the opposing coach, when we get down to the end of the game, and here the game is on the line, and the field goal kicker trots out knowing that all i got to do is kick this ball through those uprights, the opposing coach calls the timeout. So they're going to freeze the kicker, get him more time to think about this, to distract him. And you see the field goal kicker just kind of walking around and pacing by himself, just waiting for the time that he can get up and kick that ball. And then he lines up when the ref blows the whistle, and he goes and runs up and kicks it, and if he was focused, it goes through the, the upright. Yeah. Yeah. And other times you see him whiff it to the left, yeah. or whiff it to the right, yeah. or they kick it too low and somebody sticks that big hand up in the air and blocks it. Or in baseball, Mariana Rivera, unanimous Hall of Fame relief pitcher for the New York Yankees, World Series, Game 7, two outs. All you got to do is get this man on, out at the base. We got another man online on, on, on second base that's in scoring position to tie and score. The go-ahead run is the home plate, and he walks out to that song. Here comes the Sandman, and he stands there looking at the catcher for the signal, staring down that batter, and throws a strike right down the middle. What kind of focus does it take to be that good? To remain calm, 20,000 people yelling and screaming, 
trying to distract them. 100,000 people in a football stadium trying to distract or trying to encourage. Where is the focus for this? Can't be distracted, but for us, the focus and the ability to not be distracted is more than just a game. It's not a world championship for us. It's eternity. Eternity is at stake. And we have complete lack of focus. You have to bear with me here because I, one of the things I kept struggling with last night is how do I arrange these slides when I believe this is the way God wants it to be. Distraction is the process of diverting the attention of an individual or group from a desired area of focus and thereby blocking or diminishing the reception of desired information. I mean, you, you just stop right there. The distraction diverts the attention of an individual or a group. Could be a church. From a desired area of focus. What is the mission of the church? Not to answer, just think about this. What is the mission of you as a Christian? What is the mission of a church in its existence? But what is the uh, blocking or causing our distraction, blocking and diminishing the reception of the desired information? Distraction is caused by the lack of ability to pay attention, lack of interest in the object of attention, or the great intensity, novelty, or attractiveness of something other than the object of attention. How much of your time is taken away from God because something else is better? In your mind. <laughs> you know, right, let me grab my phone here. Uh, one of the things, we know that technology is great, and you can turn on your phone and go to you version and pull up your Bible. And they're good for when you're just sitting here in church or in your car, you're at work, and you just want to pull it up and look up a scripture. But I can tell you, I do not do serious Bible reading on my phone. Because when you're holding your phone trying to do Bible study, text message pops up. Notification from Facebook. Email. Distractions. I have dedicated time. I said I'm going to sit down at 8 o'clock tonight. I'm going to read my Bible on my phone. But here's the text message that you've been waiting on. Then all of a sudden now, oh wait, let me swipe down and then you... (laughs) I don't believe it's fool. And the text message turns into a phone call. Then here's the email. I got to send the email to so-and-so about this and this, that, and the other thing. And the time that was supposed to be forgotten now has gone away. The novelty or attractiveness of something else other than the object of attention. Distractions come from both external sources and internal sources. External distractions include factors such as visual triggers, Notification on your phone to pop up. Social interactions. Music. You hear these people say, I need music while I'm studying. I need music while I'm reading. And you find yourself, instead of reading, you're singing a song. Tapping your toes, snapping your finger. Text messages and phone calls. There are also internal distractions. Such as hunger, fatigue, illness, worrying, and daydreaming. External and internal distractions interfere with your ability to focus. 
Distraction again, an object that directs one attention from something else. Distraction is an obstacle to attention. Distractions are mental turmoil. Worry, mental turmoil becomes the battlefield of the mind. I'm supposed to be focused on God. I'm supposed to be focused on studying his word. I'm supposed to be focused on being better, but my time is so filled with worrying. What if this doesn't happen? What's going to happen if this continues to go down this road? Distractions rob us of our peace. What's interesting is that if you look up divided, the opposite or the antonym of divided is whole. Interestingly enough, peace, or as the word is called shalom in Hebrew, is completeness, wholeness. Not divided. Focus equals peace equals wholeness. Distractions equal divided. You see what I'm saying? That if you are focused, you're whole. When you're distracted, you're divided. I mean, that makes perfect sense that I'm trying to get here, but I'm distracted over there. Wednesday morning, I woke up. Now, there are days that I've woken up over these past four months, and I feel nervous or antsy. And just as quickly as the feeling of nervousness or antsy comes, it goes away because my God is greater. But Wednesday, I got majorly distracted. The mental turmoil and worry. Four months of no job. Four months turned into fear, turned into depression, Understanding that what happens if this continues? There was no peace and a mental turmoil. I was divided. My attention was divided. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Nothing causes them to stumble. Nothing distracts you when you have great peace because they love God's law. Because I love God's word, I will have peace and nothing causes me to stumble. I'm going to get back to me. Okay? So what does the enemy do? Enemy distracts us. He uses distraction to shift our focus. And the reason why he does is because he don't have no real power. He doesn't have the power we give him. He just has incredible influence. But he does not have any real power. What he uses is deception, delays, disappointment, discouragement, depression, and debt to distract us from what's supposed to be our focus on. So here's me. The deception, the lie. You're not getting the job, Ron. The delay. The company's supposed to bring you back January 1st or right after the holidays. Here we are in February. Disappointment. 
Why haven't I been called for an interview from all these places I've been applying to? Discouragement that I'm sitting here still at home, that I've never been unemployed in my life, and all of a sudden at 52 I ain't got no job? Then the depression. What kind of man am I? And understanding that if this doesn't change, there's going to be debt. And all of a sudden, my mind was no longer focused on how good God is. I'm worried about what's happening. I'm distracted. And you see the power Satan has when he has brought these things into our lives and divides our focus. He really hasn't laid a hand on me yet. He hasn't done anything to me. All he did was deceive me and distract me from what was supposed to be there. Now, I've been making a video, a vlog on YouTube. And so Wednesday, I'm pulling out of the CVS parking lot, and I text my friend Barry, just to text him, nothing about this, but he decides to call me back. And the conversation was very germane, nothing big deal. And then he starts asking questions. And all of a sudden, Darren, I'm in a bad place. And if you know Darren, if you knew the history of Darren, <laughs> he was a dude I went to college with. I met him my freshman year, didn't like him, couldn't stand him. Our sophomore year, he was a year ahead of me. Me and my boy were going to be roommates in an apartment and had four people in the apartment. So he and I were going to share a room and then we were going to roll the dice on who came in the other room. And he says, uh, just want to let you know, I told Darren he could live with us. Oh, man! Not him! I mean, keep in mind, this is 1984, 85, 85, going 85, 86. The Jerry curls were done. Darren still had a Jerry curl. He was still wearing corduroys. Well, nobody wearing corduroys then. He was dancing like Michael Jackson and Prince at every party. I didn't want to be associated with Darren. But from there, Darren became my best friend. If I ever needed anything and needed somebody, Darren is the one that I could call on. He has been there with everything that has gone wrong with my life. Darren, this, I don't know what's happening. Darren said to me, Ron, you need to look at your own videos you've been making. You just made a video two days ago that said God will provide. Have you forgotten what you have been telling me about? Shifting my focus away from what all these things right back to where God intended it to be of trusting in him the peace that comes. Darren. Old blockhead, Darren. (laughs) So last night we figured about, I'm I'm thinking about this distractions and, and everything else and this movie came to mind, the movie Focus. Anybody see that movie with Will Smith and Margot Robbie? And there's a scene at the beginning of the movie, he's trying to give her a quick tutorial about being a con man. And he said these words, you get their focus, you can take whatever they want. And I just said, wow. The enemy gets your focus and he takes whatever he wants takes everything that you have, everything that you have worked for, 
All the peace that you have had, that you build up, all the joy that you have, he will come in and take whatever he wants when he gets your focus. If you, if you saw the scene, he's telling her, he said, I touch you here, I steal here. I tap you there, I steal there. You get their focus, you can steal. You can take whatever you want. And then we get to a place as believers. I'm out of here. I'm alone. I've lost. I'm, my focus is gone. James 1, 6 through 8. This is the voice translation. The key is that your requests be anchored by your single-minded commitment to God. Focus. Those who depend only on their own judgment are like the lost on the seas, carried away by any wave or picked up by any wind. It is, if I don't trust in God, if I don't have a single-minded commitment to God and believing I know everything, I'm just like those lost on the seas, bouncing to and fro. Those adrift on their own wisdom shouldn't assume, shouldn't assume the Lord will rescue them or bring them anything. That blew me away. If my focus is not on God and I'm trusting in my own strength, don't call God. They don't assume the Lord will rescue you or bring you anything. The splinter of divided loyalty, the shatters your compass and will leave you dizzy and confused. I know some people in here have been those days where you have felt dizzy and confused. Completely gone, but you're trusted in yourself. Uh, the New King James Version says, this person is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You ain't fit to take care of yourself or anybody if you are not trusting in God but leaning only on yourself. But you think about this. Here we go back to focus. James, uh, John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what he is doing, to steal, kill, and destroy. He steals your peace, he kills your joy, and he tries to destroy your family. And all of this under the guise of distraction. He has not lifted a single finger, but he will steal your peace, kill your joy, and destroy your family with very little effort by simply distracting you. That's why the distraction is fatal. It is fatal to be distracted by anything. So we see how distraction works. Illusionists use different types of distraction when they're performing magic tricks. You see David Copperfield or Chris Angel or whatever, they have this thing called sleight of hand. They're doing things so quickly in front of you can't see. They do choreography, have these dancers and the, uh, whatever people moving around. You see them, they're always on stage moving real quick. Getting over here and they're going over here doing this stuff. You're so busy, focused on all this other stuff, you miss it. The misdirection. You're looking here, but the action's happening over there. Everything that is going wrong in your life is happening over here, but you're looking at this. Why are you looking over here? Your focus has been diverted. Politicians utilize distraction. Media manipulation. Developing an ideology that for a loyal fan base, a rabid fan base. And it doesn't matter if this is Fox or, or CNN, the left or the right. 
this is what they do. They use misdirection and manufacturing crisis. The movie wagged the dog. President in the movie was having problems. Things weren't going well. So he created a war to divert everybody's attention. Created a crisis. Uh, what, what do we hear about? We got to stop this wave of uh, people coming over to uh, the southern border. When we hear week after week that illegal immigrations are down. The border states are not looking for a wall. Where is the misdirection? I tell you where the misdirection is. I've created a crisis that makes you think you need something here, but in the meantime, I am going to somehow financially benefit from those contracts. Because I'm giving them to people who I know, and I'm a stockholder. And remember, I did not turn over or release any of my business interests when I became president of the United States. Then remember when George Bush was president and all of a sudden we have weapons of mass destruction and all of a sudden Halliburton became this huge contractor over there getting rich and rich. And who was on the board of Halliburton but our own vice president, Dick Cheney. Yes, yes. Wealthy over and over again, the misdirection is all this sleight of hand. We've got a problem over here. Look to this problem over here. Well, I'm taking everything you have given me and put it in the bank. Yes. What did Nicky Spurgeon say? You get their focus. You can take whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you, the enemy is nothing but a bullying, lying coward. He is a bullying, lying coward, and he is created. He is a created being. He has no power. He is not the creator. He is created. And he is only imbued with what God had given him. Period. Nothing less, nothing more. He can't even touch you without permission from God. But yet, we want to give Satan all the credit in the world. Somebody had on Facebook a few weeks ago before I took my hiatus where they showed a uh, picture of Satan surfing. And in the words above says, the devil's busy today. And Satan's response, no, that's you, chief. I've been on vacation. <laughs> wow. We have given power to the enemy yes. that he doesn't even own. He ain't even taking about, no, bro, you created this mess. You made the bad decision. You have done all these things. It hit me last night, right before I started my prayer, that when Deborah preached and did that sermon on transformation, and this theme just kept resonating with me. This whole thing is, is so, so much bigger than any of us think. And it, it's so much bigger than any of you are probably even thinking of right now. Because if you truly come to the realization and truly understand that Satan has no power over you, he can't do anything. He is a bully lying coward and we know it when we see kids who are bullies now at the heart of their being bullies is low self esteem yeah. Yeah. They, don't, they don't love themselves and nobody loves them who loves Satan <laughs> he's just this bully all he can do is bully you because you don't love him <laughs> and because you don't love him he's just going to sit here and keep lying and doing all these things to try to distract you from the one who truly does love you. The one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The one who died on the cross for our sins. 
but he's just going to lie. So here's how we know he's a bully. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. See, he walks about not as a lion, like a lion. He walks around talking a big game. He don't have big game. He's going around, they say his bark is worse than the bite. That's his problem. He ain't got no game whatsoever. He's just walking around, and because we see him walking around, and he's got a few of his boys with him, we think he's all big and bad, but he's not just a bully. Uh, uh, while we know he's a liar, John 8.44 says, You are your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Talks a big game, but his game is all lies. You know those dudes. Talking about all the money they got. Living at home with their mamas. Talking about this car they drive, but it's a lease. Lying and talking a big game. He is a coward because James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You stand your ground and trust God, all he's going to do with him and his boys is flee from your presence. He can't do nothing to you because he is a coward. And you've seen this when you, in your own experience when you've had these people who are bullies and they're coming up and when you stand up to the bully they run because they didn't think you were going to stand your ground. I ain't prepared to fight him. I ain't bad enough to stand up to this dude. He is a coward. And how we know he needs permission. Luke 22, 31, uh, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. He didn't say Satan's taking you. Satan has asked for you. He had to ask for my permission. He has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He can't touch you until he talks to God first. We saw that with Job. Where have you been, Satan? Oh, I've just been out here walking to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? Nah, well, you know, you that's your boy. You know, I can't touch him. You got a hedge of protection around him. Oh, I'll remove the hedge. Take your best shot, bro. He has to ask. He has to ask. You, if you really think about this, he is a bully. He is a liar. He is a coward. And this is who creates all this drama in our lives. This is who we're afraid of. This is who we're saying is having power. This is who's been busy today. He ain't nothing. Get ready to call him what I want to call him. <laughs> this picture here, uh, she's irrelevant. It's just I couldn't get her out of the picture. The weather map. The weather map depicts the rain and the storms, and we see it flowing when it's live action. It goes, and you watch it, and you see. The problem for us and our focus is that when we're right here in this spot, all we see is all of this. That has taken our focus and our attention. We haven't even considered the blue sky there. We see what's in front of us, but God already said 
Trouble don't last all day. Every morning, his mercies are new. Trouble only endures for a night. But we see this little time here, the deception from Satan, the delay from Satan. We think, uh, Marvin Sapp, I think, had a song, said, your blessing is not denied, it's just delayed. But yet, when that happens, Satan takes over, takes our attention away from what God is doing in our lives. James also wrote, Steve, you can, uh, I'm here to wrap this up for today. We'll be continuing next week. But James said in verse, uh, chapter 1, 2, and 4, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, whole, lacking nothing. Count it all joy. See, when, when we read those scriptures earlier that talked about this perfect peace, when we're focused on God's law, you can count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I can count it all joy on a Wednesday when I wake up depressed. When patience has its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. The distractions that are taking your focus away from God mean nothing. You won't stumble, as that word said. You will not stumble because your single-minded approach to God will not be a fatal distraction in your life. And the thing is, Satan is deathly afraid. Yes. He doesn't realize that when he caused or tried to distract me on Wednesday, he just created a problem. He created a problem with me because here in this movie, A Bug's Life, I love movies if you have figured this out, Flick was going around trying to encourage the ant colony that we're bigger and better than the grasshoppers. And here he was getting his butt kicked. That was me on Wednesday. That's how I felt. That I, this is, what was all of this for? But when he, Satan, deceived me, and I realized through my friend Darren that God is greater than all of this, I said, I'm going to take my ant colony, and I'm going to tell them about you and your lying ways, Satan. I'm going to let them know that you ain't nothing but a bully, a coward, and a liar. And there's the grasshoppers when they realize the ants raised up and realize, because he said, you realize that when we stand up, we are stronger than you. And you know it. And when the ants realize, Flick was right. Even in his beat down, broken down, about to get switched state, he was right and the grasshoppers were afraid. Satan is trembling in his roots right now that we actually have a church that is saying, God is greater than you. God is greater than any problems you have in your life. Satan can't do anything or catch you or do anything or destroy anything in your life if you don't allow him in there to do it. His lies have kept us down for so long. See, I can... I told you years ago, I said you a preacher. But the enemy would probably told you you can't preach 
only thing you can do is teach, maybe. That's where you are. But you're preaching about are you transforming? Touched me in a way that has changed me profoundly. And that change, because of your obedience, has caused me to preach a series of messages that tell you that we have to transform. Because you are a preacher. You are a preacher. You have been called by God to preach his word. Don't you ever stop. Don't you ever doubt. Don't you ever get discouraged. Because you have that power. Luke chapter, or John chapter 10 verse 19. Was that? No. I'm in the wrong place. Oh, you know what? I'm in the wrong gospel. Luke chapter 10. Verse 19. This is Jesus talking. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all over and all and over all the power of the enemy. This is given to us by God. I give you authority to trample over serpents and scorpions and all over all the power of the enemy. Whatever power he has, God says, you got more. You have greater power. And you need to realize it and stand up to Satan. Stand up to his lies. Stand up to his discouragement. Stand up and turn away from everything that he has done. Standing in your authority and in your power of knowing that God is sovereign. The distractions will no longer come. They will not cause you to stumble. And we will grow in Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you for tuning in to The Road to Change. We pray that you are blessed by this word and hope to see you next week for another life-changing sermon at The Road to Change. God bless.